Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Guys, this time of year, I basically live in Scentlock. Um, it is my f- favorite clothing of all time. No matter what season, they've got it for early season, they've got it for late season. Scentlock always has you covered. And the main difference in Scentlock and everybody else is the activated carbon for maximum odor absorption, which for whitetail hunters, odor absorption is very, very important. So guys, go check out Scentlock for all of your clothing needs. It's the best. I am joined by one of the ugliest dudes in Oklahoma, Corey Corson from Liberty Ranch. No, I'm just kidding. I thought, a, weather, I thought a weatherman always had a Stop. I'm TV, kidding. TV I'm joined voice. by Corey Corson, <laughs> one of the most mediocre looking guys in all of Oklahoma, <laughs> aka the weatherman, aka Tiny Beard. And we're talking all things hunting in Oklahoma. We talk about pre-rut. We talk about calling tactics. We talk about a deer's growth cycle. We talk about um, what else? We talk about a lot of stuff. It's yeah. a fun episode. Whitetail paradise. Hopefully, yeah. Paradise. I like that. Nothing about Oklahoma has ever been said paradise. Guys, it's a good episode. I hope you learned something. I hope you laugh a little bit. But guys, thank you so much for tuning in. hope you enjoy. Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. I'm an arrow junkie. I can't help it. I love building arrows. It's my passion. Uh, I can remember growing up, my dad, It was for him, it was sitting there sharpening knives. He loved to do that. For me, it's building arrows. It's sharpening broadheads. It's fletching arrows. It's, it's playing with arrow weights and FOCs and all that good stuff. I love going out in my bow shop and messing with arrows. A good friend of mine, Dan, he started a company called Arrow Junkie. First off, what caught my attention was the incredible-looking apparel. If you don't like Sasquatch carrying a bow, dragging a deer, there's something wrong with you. But as an arrow junkie, he sells me all the equipment that I need to build my own arrows from arrow saws, arrow squares, arrow uh, jigs, everything that I need to build my own arrows. He's got all the fletchings, all the wraps, all the glues, everything, broadheads, fill tips, inserts, outserts, everything you need to build your own arrow. Also, he puts out some really good information on how to build your own arrows. Guys, it doesn't have to be difficult, and it really doesn't even have to be that expensive. You can build an entire arrow building kit uh, for you know 400 bucks or so, and then all of a sudden, you can build the best arrows that you can possibly have because you're building them yourself. You know them. Um, you're putting the time and effort into them. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Arrow Junkie for all your arrow building needs. He's phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Go check it out. All right, Corey, so let's just get down to the nitty-gritty fast and hard. Tell me about all the deer we didn't see this morning. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Well, as you know, you were in a pretty good spot. You heard persimmons dropping all morning. Yeah. Uh, 
they, I guess, just forgot the breakfast call. But we have, we were after a good eight pointer. Uh, should be close to mid, mid fifties, low fifties potentially. Uh, six years old, we believe. We've got three years worth of history with him. Um, another old management buck that's, uh, coming around nine or ten, ten years old now. Uh, real small deer. He's probably 120 inches now. Just gone downhill 30 inches over the last four years. Um, one or two don't shooters. We got a couple three, four year old deer that are being 30s. One might break 40, but you know, we'd like to have them get up to six years old and get that 150 frame, 160 inch frame on them and have some good mature deer. Yeah. This morning I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, there they ain't. Oh, there oh. they ain't either. Wait. Nope. Oh, yep. There they ain't either. <laughs> it was a pretty spot though, wasn't it? Am I not? Yeah, but the spot with all the deer would have been prettier. Well, B-roll. No, I was telling somebody, though, it's funny because I I was sitting there and I'm like, okay, the deer are somewhere. So I'm checking all the cameras. You know, I'm looking through all the truck cameras. I didn't have one picture anywhere this morning. So it was weird. It was almost, dude, it was almost a weird morning because it started off so warm and just kind of muggy almost. Kind of just like. Well, it was 72, 72 when I got in the stand, 58 when I got out. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. With a south wind to a completely changed north wind. And it didn't drop slow. It was like at 9, 10, it was like... Switch, yep. Uh, somebody turned on their AC. So tonight should be killer because it just went down, down, down all day long. All day. Pressures went up most of the day. First kind of big weather front we've had to, to drop the temperatures. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're on the leading edge of, edge of it. Um, through the weekend, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Halloween, it's going to get down below freezing. Uh, in the teens, I believe. But Matt Tuesday Ross night. from the NDA said that cold fronts don't matter. <laughs> well, I don't know. but I'd have to look at more of the research. But For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, I had on Matt Ross from the NDA. It was maybe three episodes ago. One of the most informative episodes I've ever done. It was literally mind-blowing to hear some of the research and some of the stats and some of the science in, in the deer studies. But he claims that that research has never shown that deer move better in a cold front. He said, now me and you as a hunter, we're going to say, absolutely they do. We're going to say, if it's a cold front, I'm in the woods, but the research just hasn't shown it yet or or they've missed it or, you know, something, Something, but he said, the research does not show that when there's a cold front deer move better. And I'm like, well, dude, the research is all cool and well, but that's, this wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, where are they doing that research at? Yeah. Well, he said he claims several states all across the U.S. Hmm. He said, I can show you studies in Iowa, North Carolina, Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana. There's been studies done all across the U.S. that show that deer don't move better in a cold front. And I'm like, well, that's fine again. And, and so let me let, let's just talk about that for just a second. Like research will show you things. But you still have to be in the woods and learn for yourself. Right. Like there are things you can learn. But nothing beats that instinct that we have that goes, oh, dude, this is it. Perfect. Like this is this is it. And I find that instinct to be really interesting because what is happening is is your brain is taking notes of all the times you've seen deer, killed deer, had those incredible sits. 
And then when those conditions come back up, your brain is telling you, hey, this is this is right. it. And so don't again, research is super valuable. I'm not I'm not writing off what the NDA does. It's it's invaluable what they do. And, and I would highly encourage everybody listening to become a member of the NDA, uh, which is the National Deer Association, if I haven't said so already. I would highly encourage everybody to become a member because the research they do is invaluable. However, we as hunters still have to learn for ourselves and still have to go off of what history shows us. Yeah, absolutely. History is a big thing in a lot of that. Um, and it may come down to over the last several years where, you know, I've, I mark the weather down every day, uh, especially the within a month or two leading up to, through deer season, uh, through the conclusion of deer season. And, you know, it provides that history after a year, two, three years of that data you're able to plug in certain things based off of certain factors, whether it's weather-related, front-related, just days in general, um, and just that history of having some of that knowledge, let alone research, if you will, over two or three years. And you'd be able to plug in and pattern a deer and get on a mature deer on a ranch like this where it's, you know, no human intrusion, uh, four to five miles east-west, four to five miles north-south, of nobody, you know, deer are going to stay here. They're not going on a 60-acre parcel and leaving. Yeah. Uh, but history and I don't know. Uh, that hunter instinct, it's it's cold. We Weather changes, the pressure goes up, it's overcast. There's going to be a major switch in the wind. I don't know if the research is going to be able to convince the hunters of that and, instinct. And I, and I don't think it should. No. I don't think they're trying to convince hunters, hey, there's a cold front, don't go hunt. Right. Like, he was just stating what the research shows. But I've also said before, and I've been quoted to say, don't hunt your history. And what I mean by that is, like, when it comes to instincts and, oh, the weather's right, this is it, it's a killing night, like, 100%. High overcast right now, cold front moved in. Tonight is a killer instinct. Like, tonight we're going to go out and we're going to see deer and we're going to shoot one. But what I mean by don't hunt history is just because it's how a property's always been, don't just continue to hunt it that way. Right. Because there's been times like, I, you know, you set up and that tree stand's been there for 10 years. I've killed a deer out of this for 10 years and now where are all they at? Well, something, something changed about the, the land. Something changed about the food source. You so, know, that happened to me just um, maybe it was last year, but I think it was the year before. And the deer all of a sudden are just, they're nowhere to be seen. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, come to find out, uh, the neighbor over here built a massive pond. So I'm like, okay, well, there's water source over there now. Mm -hmm. And and then this neighbor over here had standing beans. And I'm like, okay, I can't hunt this property the same way I've hunted it for 10 years now. Right. You have to change up. So while, yes, we hunt history, meaning using our hunter instincts, every year you got to get boots on the ground and learn your deer. Yeah. It's going to differ year to year. Yeah. Whether it's the acorn crop or – Well, and I actually – that, that – uh, that tree stand on the ledge down there that I hunted last year. Yeah. I used that as a perfect example because it was such a small pinch point between a ledge mm-hmm. that like if a tree was to fall, the deer would literally no longer be able to use that anymore. Right. So while that was a fantastic pinch point, if you don't get boots on the ground and know, oh, there's a tree down, you're going to be sitting there going, where's all the deer at? Right. They're going up around you. They're going up around. Well, you go down there and you're like, oh, that's why. It makes sense. Yeah. So while yes, like use, use, history to learn how to hunt deer don't hunt the history of a property and say well this is where the deer's always been so this is where i'm gonna hunt right 
Yeah. Don't now, get stuck in that way. You brought up a something I do want to kind of touch on. So just so this is November first, uh when this episode is dropping. We're recording this on uh the twenty seventh. Greatest time of the year. Absolutely. Um this is the best time in my one of the best times, my favorite time to kill a deer is late December. Yeah. Like dumping snow, negative ten. Like that's the best time in my yeah. opinion to kill a big deer. But to enjoy calling in bucks right now is the best time. Yeah. Because what happens is, you know, so many dudes want to wait till like November 15th and start calling. Well, there's so much going on in the woods already at that time. It's You can't compete. No. Like, I'm never going to call a buck off a hot doe. No. So, never have a chance. W- when there's hundreds of hot does running around, it's hard for me to compete. Like, I've literally sat in a tree stand before and just... Watch deer sprinting all around me, chasing does, and I'm sitting there. Bruh, bruh, bruh. Yeah. Can't even, they don't, don't care. even look at you. They don't even stop. They've they've already found their girl. Yep. Um. So right now is the the best time to be calling, the best time to be rattling, because the bucks are starting to look for does, and the does aren't ready yet. So if you can make a buck think I've got a doe over here that's ready, dude, you're in the you're in the game. Yeah. Now. Absolutely. It's getting that point. So November 1st, but also tactics right now are changing hardcore, not only about the rut and starting to call and starting to rattle, but food sources are changing. You just mentioned persimmons were dropping all day, uh, and they're going to continue, especially with this cold front to just snap off there. Um, which is why a lot of dudes have bought into the idea of the October lull, which is just a myth. Yeah, absolutely. Deer still... They don't know what month it is. They don't. A deer doesn't get the calendar and be like, oh, dude, October 1st. I don't have to do nothing yeah. anymore. They still have to eat. They still have to bed. They still have to drink. They're still at, at this point, they're still driven by food. However, their food sources are changing. Right. They're off the beans, the corn, the, the milo. Native forbs that are growing. Everything. Yeah. They're on to acorns, persimmons. Yep. So when historically – and I'm asking you this because you're a you're a biologist, deer biologist, you know, smart guy. Historically, when does that switch happen from you know greening leaves to to wanting fattier food sources like acorns and persimmons? Well, it, it depends on some of you know the the surrounding areas on what you actually have for food. Um, like here on the ranch, we don't have the crop fields necessarily, but we right. have native forbs uh throughout the year that are all you know different stages and different pastures uh they're gonna follow that food wherever it tastes good to them you know it may get bitter at a certain point and they'll switch to something else um given the acorns around here with some of the white oaks they usually always start falling in uh, mid to late september you'll see some start falling uh but most of our creek bottoms they hold them just a little longer and the last part of september they really start falling typically that's when most everything else the corn's coming out of the field you know just mm-hmm. things are in general changing across a wide range of the united states um but given that time frame it's just the tannins that the leaves changing it's just how nature takes its course everything the nutrients in the forbs the natural forbs they you know, suck the nutrients back down to the roots to get ready for winter and dormancy season. Um, but typically in that last two weeks of September, this time frame, you, of course, you get a lot more of the fruit trees, uh, the soft mass and hard mass trees dropping in October. 
which leads into that October lull, like you were just mentioning. Right. Which the deer are going to move the same they throughout move the day. More. I yeah. mean, based off of what Matt said a couple episodes ago, you know, as the year progresses, they move more. They're going to move more in October than they do in July. Mm-hmm. So you say, well, why do I always see the deer in July then? Driving down the road, I see hundreds of deer in July. Because they're in wide open wide, fields. Exactly. They're in a bean field. Chasing they're in their a, food. Yeah. They're in a, you know, a wide open field where you can see them. Whereas in October, they've moved into the hardwoods to get the acorns and mm-hmm. to get the persimmons. Down into, in creek bombs. Ain't gotta down go, in the creek bombs. 50, 60 yards. Yeah. And they don't food. have to move as far from their bedding to their food. But they're moving more. Exactly. So on you have to, longer. this time of year, not only change your tactics as far as grunting and rattling go, but as far as where you hunt. As far as, you know, you're no longer sitting over a field edge, get them to cruise into the corn. Right. You're no longer sitting on the wide open field edge, you know, on a hedgerow. You're going to get into the hardwoods where the, the acorns and persimmons Our are dropping, fault. where they're rubbing, where they're scraping. Scraping, yep. You got to change your tactics. It's, exactly. That's, you know, we got to change our tactics it. today. Well, I mean, we, we were just in where we talked about it. Just, I don't think it was the right day for us. <sighs> We tired of your excuses. <laughs> <laughs> My excuses. So just so everybody knows, um, in about a month, we will be sitting in these chairs with the legend himself, Chuck Adams. A few more, yeah. Really good company. I'm excited for that. I don't know about good company. He's a good hunter, but I don't know if he's a good company. Good, well, hopefully we can we can bring out the good hunter in him that week. You know, well. I've actually heard, um, and I can say this, I think, because it was said on the podcast <laughs> I've actually heard that Chuck's not fun to share camp with. Really? Uh, that's what I've been told. You're just not uh, telling me this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's not fun to share camp with because the dude is all hunting all the time. You know, it's not like, oh, you guys want to sit down and play some poker tonight? Yeah, something like it's, hey, it's, it's, hey, let's get a map out and start looking. You know, it's it's What it's do we not, need to do? Yeah, yeah, it's not, hey, let's play cards tonight. It's... I'm going to go to bed because I'm going to leave here at 3 in the morning so I can I drive over away. across to, to the side of the ranch. He leaves before sunset, before sunrise, and comes back after sunset. You know, it's not. Um, hey, that's why he's that's why he's got the his best. name in the book so yeah, much, I'm sure. That's why he's the best. best yeah. Um, but, dude, just to think about that, like, we're literally going to be hunting with the greatest hunter to ever do it. Yeah. I would have never dreamed of that. I told somebody the other day, I said, um, they're like, who's Chuck Adams? He's, they're not a hunter. And I'm like, well, just think of him as the Michael Jordan of hunting. And they were like, really? And I'm like, yeah, that's what he is. Uh, you know, undeniably the greatest of all time. I mean, yeah. if you want to look at numbers of trophies, he's the he's, top. Yep. If you want to look at numbers of world records, he's the top. If you want to look at species killed, he's the top. Like where, Whatever measure you want to go off go, of, he's yeah. the best hunter of all time. And uh, they said, well, I don't know if that's a fair comparison. Because everybody outside of – everybody in the world knows who Michael Jordan is, whether you like basketball or not. Only the hunting community – Knows who Chuck Adams is. And I said, well, that's just a fame thing. That's not who's the best. Exactly. Because he was in the Nike right. on TV. And I said, all that stuff. And I said, actually, I think it's even a, a more fair comparison because there's a lot of arguments that Michael Jordan isn't the best. A lot of people say Kobe. A lot of people Kobe. say LeBron. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Nobody I've ever heard Arguments. of said, no. Oh, you know, Ted, Ted from down the street, he's the greatest yeah. honor of all time. No, nobody ever argues that. Right. Like. So it's even a better comparison, in my opinion. But we're going to be sitting right here, sharing camp with Chuck for a week. We'll do a podcast from sitting right here. Uh, that'll air uh, first week of of December. So yeah. uh, the first Wednesday of December, 
tune in to hear me and Corey pick Chuck's brain. We're going to ask him just how to kill big deer. Yeah, obviously. I'd like to know a few yeah, tricks. Just Maybe he me. can teach me some. Yeah. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. <laughs> That's a Nacho Libre joke. That's uh, bring You got that on your mind? You had nachos for, yeah. for lunch? Is that what it is or what? Yeah. That is on my mind. <laughs> the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> of all know. time. All time. All right. I'm going into the wilderness. We might have to have an argument about Probably this. Probably to die. <laughs> <laughs> So many, so many good uh, quotes. One liner. I, so. I mean, um, so you also mentioned one thing that I've always admired about you is your knowledge of deer, and, and not not like deer as in a whole, but like your deer. You know, you've got sheds of deer's of deer from five years past. And right. You're like, well, this is him from 2018, 19, 20, 21, 20. And I'm like, God, dude, this guy, he knows his deer. Um, and you mentioned that one specific deer dropping 30 inches. What do you, th- cause some deer just, they lose more antlers than others. You know, some deer, as they get older, they kind of maintain, um, and some deer, do they reach that five and a half, six and a half? And then just, just take they just drop. What, why do you think that is? Why do you think some deer just reach that maximum and then they just drop hard and fast? Uh, well, uh, just the easy terms to put it, it's just. Every deer is different, just like every person's different. Uh, you know, Billy might make it to 60, where John might make it to 99, uh, and still be peak form kind of yeah. thing. Um, that deer in particular you're talking about, um, he, right at probably seven years old is when he took his downturn. Uh, so it'd been night. How long 19, have you been managing this ranch? Uh, I've been, this would be the fourth deer season. So a little over four years. Okay. I've been here. So when you came in, you, you guessed this deer to be three and a half. Uh, this deer we're talking about, they had had sheds um, from before in pictures um, just for a year prior. And he looked like a typical four to five year old deer. And based off his sheds, uh, give or take, he was a 160 inch deer. I mean, that fit for that four to five inch range, maybe five to six. Uh, just so at the young side, say four, and that was 2018 growing season, or 2017 growing season, 2018 when them sheds were found. We're here sitting 2023, you know, five year seasons later. If he was four, he's nine. If he was five, he's 10. Uh, and just slowly and steadily the last three years, he might have lost 10 inches one year, you know, 15 the next, five the year after. Um, Jeez. But it, we're feeding, I know he's healthy because he's still. 200 yeah, miles. you guys run a protein system like nobody's business. He's very healthy. got all the food he wants. His body condition is not going down, and that's why he's able to live till he's 10 years old. See, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you if it's more of like a nutritional thing, if it's more of like, well, if a deer has the nutrition, it'll maintain antler size if it doesn't. But then, I, I mean, you guys have the best nutrition these deer could ever want. It's more, in my opinion, it's more or less just the body. You know, he's... He's 10 years old. I don't know in many places besides some places in South Texas uh, where their deer get to be even live to be 10 years old. It just you don't see that very often in the, the Midwest, whether it's Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas to Ohio. Uh, you know, your mature bucks are five to six. You don't ever hardly hear of anything older than seven or eight and they start to go down big time. Um, being where we're so seclusive, um, 
7,000 acres. Nobody really gets in, messes around. There's no pressure. And I think that helps a lot. But contributing to his antler score going down, um, that's, I'm just going to contribute that to age. It's just, uh, you know, you're not always going to be, whether you go to the gym every day, you're not always going to look like you were in your 30s. If you hit the gym, be a bodybuilder, you're not going to look like. Dude, I'm, I'm in that. my 30s. I don't even look like I'm in my 30s, hey, bro. Hey, don't worry. Me too. Jeez Louise. I got a disease. It's called Dunlap. Dunlap, huh? Yeah, my belly Dunlapped over my belt loop. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm on a new diet. It's called the CrossFit diet. It's not working well. No. I'm eat, not. eat whatever you want. Cross your fingers and help your pants stick. <laughs> no, we need that today. Yeah. For lunch. Oh, my gosh. I don't, even, I don't think I'm even going to hunt tonight, dude. Oh, come on. It's now. not going to happen. That. I'm just gonna have to We're going to keep you in the tree stand. I've got to take, take, take a little siesta. A little siesta. <laughs> we had our fiesta. Now i got to take a siesta. siesta. Um, so, on that deer, though, what's the oldest deer you've ever seen? Like verified this is you know by a by a biologist what's the oldest year you've ever seen um that i can recall is 10 so if if you get this deer on the ground you're gonna have him aged out uh yes we will we'll try to do his teeth but we'll probably if he's got teeth well that's point but we can get the uh front incisors of course get him Get them sent off, and we're going to get the exact age on them just out of curiosity. What How a, cool would that be if we just torched him tonight? That'd be fantastic. He's in the area over there. That's what you told me this morning, too. Oh, yeah, he's in the area. <laughs> he's somewhere. <laughs> somewhere between. He, he is living here somewhere. Between here and the far hillside where you were at, he's, yeah. he's in there somewhere. Between here and Missouri, he's somewhere. Oh, yeah, guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> um, How much longer... If a hunter doesn't kill him, how much longer do you think he can live? Like, again, because you said he's perfectly healthy. Yeah, his you know his body condition, he's not real skinny. You can't see you no know, ribs, no hip bones. Not real uh, skinny. The dude's a stinking horse. Uh, yeah, he's a tank. Uh, what do you think that deer weighs? Right now, being early, early season, I'm gonna say he's. He's well over 200 still. I was going to say 260. No, I, I don't know if he's quite that big. Dude, that deer that I killed here last year, though, how old do you think that deer was? Seven and a half? Uh, yeah, at least, probably. Dude, that uh, so I just got the I just got the the head done, uh, the Euro. Euro done. I just bury mine, so it takes a long time. Yeah, I don't like to mess with them. Um, and you can look. I've got, like, uh, let's see, six euros right there in a row on the wall mm-hmm. and by far that's the smallest antler wise but head wise dude that thing is a block compared yeah. to the rest of them like you look through there and you're just like whoa like it's all, it almost catches your attention how much bigger his head is than every every other deer on there hmm. just a, a monster head curious to see that i'll have to show you to you i, I might have a picture a, of it i know he was a bruiser when you harvested him. I mean, you knew when you seen him. Like, Dude, hey, you didn't have to question if that was an old deer or not. Guy in charge. I know he wasn't much to look at for antler-wise, but that goes to, you know, what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Well, and that, that, all right, so let's, let's jump into the idea behind management bucks. Um, 
Can you manage deer for antler potential? No. No. Correct. No, you can't. So for all you thugs out there that are like, <laughs> oh, bad genetics, I need to get them off my property. Well, you have to remember the doe that bred that that birthed him and the does that he has bred and the all of his like, lineage there. You can't determine the, how that does antler. So, but, so you're never going to get his genetics off the property unless you kill everything. Every deer that has that. Yes. Because those does have the – have. I mean a deer gets 50% of his genes from his mom too. So no, you cannot. Right. However, when we say management buck, when I say I need to kill this management buck, that means he's past peak potential. Correct. So we want to get him off the property so that the younger deer can continue to thrive and grow up to be bigger and better. Absolutely. Yep. So it's not a genetic antler. Oh, this deer doesn't have the antlers I like. Oh, this deer's got small antlers. Even if he's got small antlers, but he's a three and a half year old buck, it's not a management buck. Right. Your management deer are the ones that have reached and passed peak potential because we want to give our two and a halfs, our three and a halfs, a chance to, to, to feed and live and breed. And live out to their potential. Live out to their potential rather than letting a ten and a half year old deer that's way past his prime continue to take up space, resources, breeding opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the NDA says that 60% of your deer are bred by two and a half and three and a half year olds anyways. So that buck at 10 years old is basically just taking up living capacity on your property. Yeah, certainly. So if that deer, and I want to go back to my question, if that deer doesn't get killed by hunters, if it dies by natural causes, being perfectly happy and healthy, how much longer do you think he could live? Oh. I know that's a thing. Yeah. uh, Just. He doesn't get hit by a car. car he doesn't nothing like he you know, like he lives here. Like he just dies. Uh, I mean, I could see it being two years, three years. You know, if nothing, we last year he made it nine years old through freezing cold temperatures. You know, negative seven, yeah, negative eight. Maybe it is because of how good our nutrition and stuff is here with the on the ranch with the protein feed. But yeah, you know, I think that could prolong his life a little bit. I mean, eventually, but in the end, he's got to give way. And I don't, you just don't hear deer living the 12, 13, 13. It's that's my obsession with bears, though. That's why I love bears. To think this big, mature bear has lived 15, 20 years yeah. is mind blowing. Like, to think that this deer is older than my children is crazy. Yeah. This bear is older than my children is crazy. You know, whereas a mature buck, like we talked about in Kansas, it's going to be seven, six and a half years old. You know, here it's going to be six and a half, seven years old. Right. But a bear that lives 20 years, like that's, that's crazy. You just, you don't like he's about seen things. everything. Lived he's, everything. He's lived through everything. He's seen, you know, natural disasters. He's seen hunters. He's seen everything that could kill him and he's made it. Yep. Like, that's crazy. It kind of, it kind of comes a game, like. He's just tormenting me now. Like, do I do I just let him live and see how long he can live? Yeah, it's. I'd rather not. I'd like to see him on on, on the, ground. the wall, on the ground, in the grill, in the grill. Bear meat's my favorite. Just so you know, that's pretty. You good. still got some? I still got some. I got some laid out. We might oh, eat some snap. for dinner. Oh, I love bear meat. Bear dude. steak or 
burger or something, maybe. Oh, I love bear meat. Um, where you killed yours in Washington, right? Oregon, 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 second worst state in the United States. Gotcha. Um, which one's the first, Arkansas? You had to do it, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, oh. I was going to say Brohio. Oh, Brohio. I mean, that's that's up there on the list is a pretty good one, I believe. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Oregon, so what were they eating? What do the, the bears eat in Oregon? Uh, berries? They have a lot of berries? A lot of... They, they had a lot of berries. They had... Oh uh, gosh dang, I cannot remember what Tim called it. Uh but kinda like skunk cabbage. I don't know if that and, is. Uh you know what leeks are? Yeah. It's kinda similar to the leek. Uh oh. but when I shot the bear he was he was eating grass, like fresh green grass. Yeah. And just dirt clods falling out of his mouth as he chews. Dude bears. Seventy so yards cool. just uh, but it was on the berries and the skunk cabbage is what we were hunting more or less in the wide open meadows. Dude, that's why I, that's why I love bear meat because they've saturated themselves in berries. Mm-hmm. So like if you kill a nice fat bear on berries, dude, it's so almost sweet. Like yeah. It almost has that sweet taste. Like, and so I love using bear meat for like breakfast, like, cause it almost has that sweet mapley, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I made a breakfast pizza out of some bear and it was just stupid good breakfast sandwiches. Oh, like yeah. I love bear meat, dude. You got me off track. I love bears. You're making me hungry again already. I just love bears. I mean, I'm, I've heard it's come down to, you know, winter or spring, their, you know, their diet at that time frame. Yeah. Which contribute to a lot. You know, going into wintertime, you don't want to eat them because they're just stuffing everything in they can. See, I flipped that for me. Really? 100%. Spring bears are disgusting, dude. They have no fat on them yet. You know, they just come out of hibernation. They might have quite a bit. I was really surprised. Tim. Really? Wasn't even really surprised. I got, uh, we kept and rendered almost 10 pounds. Really? Of fat. I mean. Half inch, three quarter inch thick. Still, huh. he was amazed. I was. He said, "Hold, you know, well, skin it out." No, I mean that ain't normal. And the great part was, it was one of those old bears. He's had videos and How stuff. How old of. did he think the bear was? Uh, he was at least ten. Tim thought. Um, and I have not got my stuff back from Oregon yet on that. Hmm. Now that you mentioned, asked me that question. I have did not. you get it mounted? Uh, yes, it is in Oregon getting mounted as, as we speak. My bears in Idaho getting mounted. Let's just drive uh, up together and get them. Yeah, maybe we can go on a hunt up there. Idaho. Yeah. Oregon. Let's do it. Twofer. Um, so that's not normal. So it makes me wonder how fat that bear would have been in the fall. Uh, Tim guessing, man. I mean, I've, that's my first bear ever seen in a while. First bear ever harvested. Uh, so I had no way to judge him, but you know, when I, we got up there after we killed him, he, you know, he almost six and a half feet from tail to the back of the head, hmm. uh, and 550 to 600 pounds. And for that time in Oregon in general, Tim said, that's, that's a big bear, you know, and it's May, the snow just had melted. We got stuck in a snow drift 
actually trying to get up to the mountain. Was Tim driving? Yeah, Tim was driving. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Before we even started on the hunt, you know, we were going through snowdrifts. I mean, so he didn't even start eating. That's crazy. Spring and summer. They had no time to fatten up. That's but. crazy, dude. So well, that, that's what I love about fall bears is they're so fat. So if you don't like wild game because of how lean it is, bear meat. Get fat. Mm-hmm. Bear meat is your answer because they're fatty. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also fat on the right things, you know? Like if you kill a pig, they're fat on just disgusting stuff. Yeah. Um, but if you kill a bear that's fat, nice and fat, he's full of berries and, oh, dude, it's so good. Eating fish all, all yeah. summer. Yeah. Man, it was something. I need some bear meat. <sighs> All right. Calling right techniques. November 1st. If you're not calling right now, you're messing up. Yeah. At least some light some light rattling sequences. With some right some tickling the tines. Tickling the tines. Yep. The old tine tickler. A little, a few grunts in there. Yep. 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 Um, so walk me through that. How do you, how do you build up? When do you start grunting? When do you start rattling? When do you really amp that up? Um, walk me through that. I've got a new sequence I want to talk to you about, but I want to hear your, your thoughts. Um, uh, you know, of course it's going to differ in a range of, you know, the listener's area. Um, but here when, you know, that pre-rut activity starts, uh, when they're starting to get into them, that big scrape mode, they're starting to, you know, tickle and spar and stuff. You know, just in general, right before the rut kicks off. Halloween day is when I say start rutting or, or start, start, start rattling. Start I running. would, I would say just probably, a, well, four or five days leading up to that point, like we are now to the first five days of November. The calling can be really effective. With and then again, late November. Late November. Yeah. Around after Thanksgiving time. Because again, those during the, peak of the rut it's just really hard to call in deer yeah they're just too focused during the peak of the rut i almost switch more to using scents to using more attractants peas and scrapes and rubs like using more of of tricking them to think there's actually a live doe here not that i'm a buck that has a step in yeah yeah so territory um my new sequence so so again going back like later in november i found grunting and rattling to be successful again because you've Again, the bucks are done breeding, does are, are done, but if you can make that buck think, well, wait a second, he's got one one or two lost hot does, I need to go back over there. Yeah, check that um, out. Like last year when I shot that deer here, it was um, December, uh, it was early December. I want to I say the second or third. It was, oh. November 19th. Oh, wow. We were way off on that, weren't we? Oh, we suck. Kyle, oh, we're bad, dude. Hey, you put the idea in my head. I did. Um, but I was with Joey Zapmary on December 6th in nah. Missouri. That's what I was thinking of, I think. He December 6th. Mm-hmm. I grunted in a deer for Joey in November, and he saw the buck, and that buck turned and ran right, right. to us. Because, again... That buck thought, wait a minute, does he have a hot doe? Like, did he find the late doe or, you know, is it? And, and I pulled that buck right in. So, you know, take a break. Uh, November, like you said, 8th, 9th through the, you know, however long, two weeks or so. Right. And then start again about, because that buck there that 
uh, November buck that I killed here last year, I grunted him in on a string. Mm-hmm. And like you said, dude, that big old beefy body, when you grunted, you could tell he was a bully buck. You could tell he's, you know, he's head honcho of this place. Right. Because when he heard another buck, he came right, right to me. Didn't even look at it another way. And I didn't even grunt a lot. Like, I didn't have to rattle, didn't have to snort wheeze, didn't yep. have to roar. I just burp, burp, and he came right to me. And that's the thing. It usually does not take much. If any, you know, they're going to hear you, whether they, if the wind's not blowing 25 mile an hour, you know, to them, most times they can hear you. But it's just whether they're too focused on something else, that hot dough in front of them, or if they're just cruising, wind checking, you know. If they're on a mission, you, you're not going to stop them. They may but, look at you, but they're going to keep going. And just like I said, that that buck last year, his personality was 100% a bully. Mm-hmm. But there will be bucks. So that's just not their personality. Deer have personalities. Right. Just like we mentioned, all deer are different. They all have different personalities. And you might grunt at a buck, even if he's a big buck. He's got his tail whooped a few times, and he doesn't respond to that yeah, no more. Just tuck his tail and keep going. Yeah, he's or not a fighter. The other way, right. That happens. So if you see a buck and you call to him and he shows no interest, hit him with a snort wheeze. If he shows no interest, you're not going to call that buck in. He's just not a fighter. Right. You're not enticing him at all. Um, here's my new sequence. You ready? I'm about to blow your mind. Okay. Start with a couple social grunts. Just bit, 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 bit. Give it a few minutes. Because, again, if a buck is... 80 yards away and I can't see him. I don't want to just start banging horns together. Right. Um, give that. If nothing happens, if you don't see anything, give it a minute and a half and then lightly tickle the tines. Cause again, if a deer heard my grunts from 200 and when I start rattling, he's at 80, but I still don't see him. I don't want to just smash the horns together. Right. So tickle the tines together for a minute and a half, two minutes, you know, just a couple deer sparring and stop for two minutes. Now, when you stop, put the rattle horns down Absolutely. and pick up your stinking bow. I've been burned on that a couple times where you're still holding your horns, like waiting to rattle again. And, and, then, the, and then here he comes. Outpop. And he's coming in hot and heavy because he just came in for a fight. Mm-hmm. So put the horns down, pick your bow up. Deer. Give it a couple minutes, and then I bang the horns. And I'm talking full out All brawl. All out brawl, yeah. All out brawl because if I've called that deer in from 300 <laughs> to 100 – that all-out brawl is going to get him to come that last right. hundred. Even if he's, like you said, hung up out there, to that hundred <laughs> yards, you know, half that time, and he was just waiting, you know, yeah, to hear, well, it, just two little bucks over there. Right. Diddle-daddling around, maybe two young bucks. But once yeah. you get into that all-out brawl. Then they come. That's when, well, okay, let's go see what's happening over here. Yeah, let's go show him this boss. Exactly. Just like you said, that old bully buck come in, all bristled up. Hot and heavy. Come and that's another thing. They're going to come downwind if they can, where you're at, just to try to catch that scent, which gets you a lot. Just in here on the ranch, how it's set up, we can we got to use the train more than how some of the wind is because they can't necessarily come straight downwind all the time. Which is, I got lucky because that deer came downwind, but he came so close, my my scent was just blowing right over right over top. So I ended up shooting that deer at what, like six yards, five yards, sh- straight, straight, straight down. through the tree behind me. Um, just a really cool hunt. I was, uh, that was a special hunt because you got to, Tucker was here in the cabin and yeah. I said, Hey, could you bring my boy out here with you? And, uh, 
you know, let him come track the deer with us. And, and, uh, so it was, it was cool to have him out there with me. Um, he also brought out a little of the redneck in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> two kids see mud, they got to play in it. They were going, they, I was out there waiting patiently in the freezing cold. And, uh, Corey and, and my son Tucker, who at the time was four, they were driving down here to get the deer and they see mud. And Tucker says, Hey, why don't you go through that mud? And Corey's like, Oh, oh yeah. okay, whatever. So he tears through that mud and gets stuck. <laughs> Tucker, Tucker, without missing a beat, says, "You shouldn't have went." <laughs> well, that flipped that flipped fast on you, didn't it? Yeah. Hey, and we looked. You know, I looked out the window, looked at Tucker, passenger seat, and looked out, and there you were, just perfectly in line. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, we needed to be here anyway." So it, was, yeah, it so worked you out did great. It on purpose. Yeah. We'll yeah, I that. said, "Oh, Tucker, he's a little redneck," and Corey said, "Yeah," and he brought the redneck out me. <laughs> That was uh, not the proudest moment. Dude, when I told him last night, he said, where are you going, Dad? And I said, I'm going to go hunt. He said, where are you going hunting at? I said, Oklahoma. He said, with Corey? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm going. <laughs> I didn't ask if he could. He said, I'm going. No, he's going. Literally already in his PJs, I'm tucking yep. him in. Like, he's in bed. And he's like, I'm going. Yep. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're you're going to sleep. Like, you're already in bed, tucked in. <laughs> like, And he's like, I'm going. He said, I want to see, uh, what did he call him? He didn't say Cinder. He said, uh. He said the wrong name for the dog, but mm-hmm. he said, I need to see the the dog. He said, he's my, my friend. <laughs> like, I don't think he likes you, dude. You oh, tried yeah. to ride him. No, oh, he loves it. My nephew's eight years old. He still rides him around. So. so let's talk a little bit of game plan for Chuck. What, uh, cause we'll have three full-time hunters that week. Yep. Um, and if I haven't <clears throat> tagged out, I'll still be hunting. Uh, so possibly four hunters. Um, how do you, with a situation like that, how do you determine where to sit? Like when you've got four guys and you've got to get them all on a tree stand, you obviously want all of them to kill a deer. Mm-hmm. That becomes difficult, doesn't it? Like, I, dude, I have enough trouble figuring out where to put myself, yeah. much less where to put three other dudes. Uh, yeah, it is difficult. And sometimes you're, you know, you're going to kick yourself. Well, I should have hunted here. I should have hunted there. Uh, oh, don't but get, dude, you, you remember that one time? It was that week Joey was in camp, and you had me in the same spot for like three times. Three days in a row, I'm like, Corey, this place sucks, dude. Find me somewhere new. And you take me to a new set, and a giant buck shows up in <laughs> front of the guys f- where I left. And I'm like, I should listen to Corey. Stick them, stay, make them pay, they say. I did, though, that when I did switch, I saw like, 30 deer a pile of deer. i saw like four four or five giants yep. just smokers uh none of them presented me a shot obviously but just yeah you could see a lot from where you were dude, at that was a cool set that was one of the that was one of the single coolest sets i've ever had i think because i just literally it was like oh dude there's a giant buck oh dude look over here there's a giant buck you seen what like 30 deer yeah oh look down there there's a giant buck like it was insane yeah. dude and it was one of those times like you know going back to that instance of like calling's not going to do anything there's yeah. 20 there's so live there's 20 happens. live deer going around them like you start putting in you know calls or something yeah. like that You're every gonna... every bucks out there's making noise yeah like why are they going to come to me making noise mm-hmm. you know what i mean so that but that all comes down to knowing when to call and not when to call 
Because if there's 25 live deer in the field and I start banging antlers together, all I'm going to do is educate them. Exactly. All I'm going to do is is have 25 eyes look over and not see a fight going on and educate those deer that, hey, when oh, I hear rattling does. from that area, it's not deer. That's probably, yep. Which, again, another tip I wanted to share on rattling and grunting. 30 minutes after you get in your stand, 45 minutes after you get in your stand, never rattle or grunt. Because if a deer did see me getting up in my stand, I don't want to rattle or grunt. Right. Because, again, I'm just going to educate them to that sound and associate it with the dude that was just climbing up in the tree. 45 minutes before I get out of the tree is my last grunt or rattle, my last noise. Because I don't want to grunt and a deer start coming to me. And by the time he gets there, I'm climbing down. Yep. Because then again, I've educated that deer. Exactly. I've taught that deer that noise is associated with something up in the tree that I don't like. Yep. So never, you have to give it 45 minutes after you get in your stand before you start calling. And you have to give it 45 minutes before you get down to stop calling. Right. right. I would agree with both of those. Uh, Another little tidbit, you know, it. Most times, if a buck hears that commotion, whether it's grunting, rattling, you know, if, if he's going to come in, it's going to be relatively quickly. Right. Uh, you know, it's going to be within a 10, 15-minute window most of the time because you're not going to call him from a mile and a half away. That's just he was going in that direction if he happens to come by. Um, but you don't want deer to slip up on you when you're trying to get out of the stand at dark. And, you know, if, like you said, they watch you climb up the stand – if you didn't spook them per se, they they may watch. Yeah, because they weren't sure exactly. They may actually come investigate a little bit just because they heard some noise, and then you're up there clanging and banging and educated, and they're gone. Yeah. All right. So before we go, I have um, coined you as the weatherman. I've never seen anybody study the weather as much as Corey Corson studies the weather. What are you looking for? When you look at the weather forecast, what are you looking for? Like what what makes you go go to the woods or not go to the woods? Uh, well, for me, we're throwing everything Matt Ross said yeah. out of the window here. We're talking hunting history, hunter instinct, learning from the past. Yep. What about the weather makes you go? Oh yeah, I need to be out there. For me, it's the the change in pressures, uh, the whether it's on the the high side of it, the I like the thirty twenty five to thirty thirty at least range. Uh, for me, that that's a go to. Um, of course, if you could always have that north wind, north west. What is west. it tonight? What's the, what's the pressure tonight? Uh, it was getting up to about thirty point two. See, and climb, but climbing all day. You didn't have to look at an app? No. Well, I, you know, like I said, write it down. But the it, weatherman. You know, <laughs> it climbing all day, that pressure rising, if it gets to that 30, 30 mark and stays, you know, that's a, a time frame of that that front come through and it's there. You know, that's a, let's get in the woods, especially if you got a temperature change with it. Oh, my gosh. That's where it comes for me. When you see the pressure rising and the temperature dropping yeah. and they're meeting each other doing that, oh, fantastic. get in the stinking woods. Exactly. It almost, a rising pressure is always good and a dropping temperature is always good. But when the two collide, it almost multiplies each. Like, you know, if 
you know, you say a dropping temperature gives me a 10% advantage and a dropping barometric pressure gives me a 10% advantage. When they meet, I don't think it gives you a 20% advantage. I think it gives you a 35, 40% advantage. Like just with them meeting for some reason, they're like, oh, that's the perfect. Yeah, magnifies. I don't know what it is. Which today we're going to sting in. It should be killer tonight, dude. The only thing I don't like is the wind blowing a little much. But for here, 15 to 25, that's an everyday occurrence. See, I think I think 10 to 14 is perfect mm-hmm. for deer movement. I think too little is bad, and I think too much is bad. I think too much, yes. Not 10. I say 7 to 14 is perfect. 7 to 13, perfect. 7 to 13. Huh? Uh, it's, a, it's like the sweet spot because a deer can use its nose. Mm-hmm. If it, if there's not enough wind, it can't use their nose, right? Because it's going to be swirling and switching, and and if there's too much, they can't use their nose. Yeah. So that seven to thirteen, I think, is just perfect. Perfect. Yeah. No, I love you. Got to have some wind. Now I like a light wind if I'm in a blind because it will contain my scent. Scent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like a heavier wind if I'm in a tree stand because I can get up higher and it will blow, blow out out past. further. Yeah. Right. Before settling to the ground or anything like that. We're, we, we have it all figured out. We're so smart. Okay. That's, that's what we do this for, right? Then how come nothing's dead yet? The weatherman was wrong this morning. The weatherman <laughs> was wrong. No, I mean, I, again, going back, like, there was no deer moving this morning. Mm-mm. We didn't see deer driving in. We didn't see deer driving out. I didn't see deer on any other cameras. Cameras. They're, they just weren't moving this morning. Well, I mean, we had, we've, it's... Dang near full moon, uh, you know, that's one thing. That, again, the hunter and a lot of people are going to say the moon has effect on it. Mm-mm. But I don't think so. The research and most of the research and doesn't show I say, I say but, I say it doesn't have an effect on them. Let me go back because I that, that will be a contradiction to what I said on the Matt Ross episode. Because I made the argument that if the moon phase determines literally the current of the ocean, the the tide of Tides. the ocean, that has to affect deer. Like it has to. If if studies have shown that you know moon phases affect people and people's sleeping patterns, and you know it has to affect deer. I don't think it affects their movement though. Mm-mm. I don't think it affects. When and how much they move. I think it affects attitudes and, you know, personalities, different, you know. But I don't think it affects, I don't think to say, oh, they're moving all night because it was a full moon, it was bright out, they're not going to move during the day. I don't think that happens. Hmm. Not, uh, yes, I can say not necessarily to argue, but. Argue? I, that's no. what I want to hear it. No, I, I think it it does change a little. Um, now they might move earlier, I think, and and they might move later. Like if, if, if legal shooting lights at, you know, like this morning, seven, 11 AM, they might be moving at seven, you know, seven AM a little bit before they would be on a normal because they have, they had a little more light, you know, Mm -hmm. getting up or whatever. But I don't think they're just moving all night long and then all day long. They never get up again. I guess I'm, when I look at it, I'm thinking of moon position more than face okay uh overhead underfoot type thing okay um if it is i think like the moon last night set at 650 something 
or I'm sorry, rose at 6.57 p.m., give or take. I could be wrong on that. But it, it didn't rise at 6.57 p.m. The moon. Oh, the moon, my bad. Rose at 6.57 right. and then set at, I think it was supposed to be almost 4 o'clock this morning. That, you know, overhead, they moved. They'd been 10, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night overhead. So that's when I thought. I would think a lot of deer would be moving. So when we get those moons that come up in the morning and go till it's set in the evening or just after dark, you know, overhead, that position may be one to four in the evening. I had a good buck on camera last night. I want to see what time it was. Now you say that. Oh, never mind. It was 530 a.m. this morning. I was wrong. I was wrong. Well, I just knew I got a picture of a buck in the dark. Um, I'm curious to see what time. There is something to think about that. That is something to think about. That's in my, maybe it's just how I'm wired, but that's how I look at it. When I, when I think of how the moon affects them, it's not necessarily, well, it's a full moon. It's this, but. You want to know my opinion? My honest opinion? I think every hunter is right. When they think about those things. What I mean by that is when you're confident in your set, you hunt better. Yeah. You're quieter. You sit still longer. You pay more attention because you think, okay, it's about to happen. So you hunt better. Whereas if I go out and I'm like, yeah, this is a bust, dude. Like I'm going to be on my phone more. I'm going to be louder. I'm going to get, you know, drinks more. I'm going to whatever. Because I'm saying, yeah, there's no deer here. It's it's not going to happen today. Whereas when I tell myself, oh, this is the perfect conditions, yeah. I don't get my phone out. I keep my bow ready. You know, I'm, I'm more attentive. Go. I'm on. And so I, I think every hunter, no matter what they think about wind, no matter what they think about moon phases, they can have that argument. If it causes them to hunt better, that's when they're going to be successful. Right. And, you know, I, I just had a cell camera go off. Uh, it's one of those. Did you? The place we're going tonight, giant bucks. I haven't looked. I don't want to look yet. Okay. We're, we're sitting here. If it's the buck, I'm, you know, I ain't going to tell you anyways. All right, guys, we'll talk but. to you next week. <laughs> but, you know, that's Thanks one for of those, tuning in. We'll yeah. see you next week. It's one of those things that I think reduces that confidence and changes how people hunt, unfortunately. Cell cams do? How I, so? I'm not seeing anything. Why, would I, why, why am I going to go? Yeah. Well, I haven't had the buck on camera. Why would I go? But because cameras are wrong sometimes. You can go sit in that same tree stand, rattle and, they and went grunt. Behind the camera, rattle and grunt, get him to come in if he's there per se. Well, it's not even just that. Like there have been times where oh, like sir. you're sitting in a stand and you see does, and then you don't get a picture of them. Like yeah. cell you cameras mess up everything. Yeah, cell cameras mess up or. You know, if it's set to a 30-second delay. Right. And you had a doe come through, and that buck came through right after. You're like, I don't even have any bucks out there. Why am I going to go hunt? Exactly. The camera didn't catch it. Like, They don't catch everything. And it doesn't have a 360 view of the whole woods. Mm -hmm. It could have been 10 yards behind the camera, still only 20 yards from your stand, but it never walked in front of your camera. So I think you're right. I think trail cameras as a whole have messed up hunting. And I use them, obviously, as a tool and a resource. But dude, I so miss the joy of being a kid, not using cameras, and you go out and you have no idea what you're going to see. Yeah. 
you have no idea. You know there's deer because you saw tracks, you saw rubs, you saw scrapes, but you have no, no idea what's in here. Made it. I've heard a few people going back to those kind of days, just the surprise of hunting again, rather than rely on the cell cameras and well, this and that. And I think, too, that's messed up the joy of hunting and um, kind of put more of an emphasis on the trophy hunt because mm-hmm. if I get a picture of a 180, I'm not going to shoot the 160 that comes in. Right. 160 is a great deer. 160 is a good deer for anybody. Not not even just me. That's a good deer for Chuck Adams. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a, a nice deer. But if I know there's a 180 in the area, I'm going to be waiting. Whereas if I don't have cameras and a 160 comes in, I'll say, oh my gosh, look at this banger of a buck. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to be stoked. 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 And so I do think that it's added that because, dude, there was two years where I let a big, big deer run me for the t- those two years because a big deer 180 plus oh man and i had several encounter several encounters with him one time he was at 40 yards for about 30 minutes but all i could see was his neck up uh in the beans all no uh, behind a tree uh, behind a group uh, of trees. <laughs> all i could saw was neck and a whole bunch of antlers, antlers. Oh, so i had God. several encounters encounters with him but also had several encounters with other really good deer Deer, get this, deer that I passed on that would have been my biggest deer ever. Oh, wow. Deer that came in and I sent videos to my dad and he's like, what? Why? That's bigger than any deer you've ever shot. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a 180 in there. There's a bigger one. And for those two years, it ruined me. Mm -hmm. I wish, I honestly wish I didn't know he was there because I would have had a personal best on the wall. Right. Not having tried to wait for this 180. Well, that's that's just a goal, you know. You personally have to set whether you you know you can work up to a one eighty. That's that's changed for me, hundred percent. That even even if I know a deer's in the area, that's changed for me. I will never pass up the biggest I deer. deer. I, I'm I'm never going to pass up my personal best. That was stupid, right. stupid right. to say. Well, that would be my biggest deer ever, but I've got a one eighty in here that I'm hoping will come by one time. Stupid. I agree. You got, yeah. Don't you, call me stupid. Well, you called it. I just said I agreed. So you called me stupid. No, I mean, I just. Good agree. Lord, dude. You want to turn the fight right now? Why don't you go practice falling down? I'll be there in a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I do think trail cameras, dude, have just. And again, I don't want to say it's a necessary evil because there's a lot of dudes who kill a lot of bucks without them. But it is a really good tool. Oh, great resource to have. Great resource. And that's why, like, I I try to use them more. I've tried to rethink my camera strategies. You know, rather than wanting to know every deer that's there, let's put them several ways up and down the trail. That way I can see which way they're coming and which way they're going. You know, just one of my properties in Kansas, the last three nights I've had a deer come from this stand and go to this stand. And then the, and then it's a, been in the dark. It was at like 10 a.m. and 2 a.m., but then he goes back. So I can only assume that when he starts moving in the daylight, he's going to come from here and go to there and then come to there and go there. So I've, I now know where that deer is sleeping and where he's going. Right. So rather than using cameras to build a shopping list of deer, use them to figure out your deer. Right. Use them as a mold. Yeah, 
And don't don't buy into that whole because I did. I did bad for those two years. And, and really, it was my first year, not my first year hunting in Kansas, but it was my first own property in Kansas. Like my property that I got to manage, that I got to hunt how I wanted, that I got to, you know, put stands where I wanted, cameras where I wanted. And so it was kind of mind-blowing, a, a little dumb redneck from Arkansas whose biggest deer was 120 to be looking at deer that were 140. Like, that was just crazy to me to and see pass. a deer that was 140 and say, well, he's not big enough. Yeah, he's passing them. Um, but I bought into it. And, and so I just want to encourage you guys, like, if a deer tickles your fancy, shoot it. Right. Like, at the end of the day, you say, well, that's not a good management practice. It's also not a good management practice to pass up mature 150s because you're waiting on a 180. Right. So that's not good management practice either. No. That's just trophy hunting. So, guys, if a deer comes out and tickles your fancy, shoot it. And don't apologize to anybody for it. No. Like, don't be. No judgment can be made. Dude, I'll shoot every forky like on this place, <laughs> and I ain't going to apologize to you for it. <laughs> well, that's too much tickling, I think. So, what's your number one pro tip on learning weather? Your number one, if, if somebody says, man, I really want to learn how to look at a at a weather forecast and understand what's going to happen. What's your number one tip for that? What's uh, what's going to happen in terms of their area and their property is a big part of that um, on how the weather affects everything on their property. But getting to know your deer related to the weather is a big thing because if the wind's blowing out of the northwest, you know, they're going to use their nose. They're going to follow the terrain or a creek or something where they can use that wind to their advantage. Um, so I would say re record the weather, take note of the weather, along with the cameras, and just for an inventory, inventory purposes, um, and begin to put a pattern together. That's what a lot of guys, they want to look at the future forecast, but they never want to look at the past forecast. Right, because... They're creatures that have it. Deer. Yeah. Um, if you can get a time frame over the last three years of a buck showing up, well, he's been here on this day. Well, he was here that day last year, about the same time frame. Once you start going back, that's how I try to hunt the ranch. You know, using the weather and my cameras, uh, you know, you can start putting a pattern together. Well, if this deer lives here, he goes here, 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 based off of this wind. Um, and it may be the opposite based off of the other one. He may go the other side of the circle. Yeah, it's good. That's how I would do it. Record your weather, keep that data, and then just over the time, use it how see how the deer move across your property. Guys, we have um, an exciting, an exciting first of October for much of the Midwest. Starting yesterday, we've had a massive cold front in much of the Midwest. So this week, get out there and hunt. If you've got vacation time, I would take Use it right it. now. Um, Trick or treat. This Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is going to be fantastic. So call into work. Use your grunt calls. Use your rattle bags. Use your rattle horns. This week is going to be good. I'm very picky about the nonprofits that I will support. Um, I look into them a lot. I don't just jump in and support anybody that says we're a nonprofit. Um 
I met a, a friend of mine, his name is Jim Mesh, and he runs a memorial fund, a scholarship in his brother's name, the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. And what they do, they have a passion for getting kids involved in outdoors. So they host these events around the country uh, to get kids introduced to hunting, but also to raise money for their scholarship fund, which is the John V. Mesh Scholarship. And what that is, is that's a scholarship that if any student is going into a field of conservation study, they can apply for this this scholarship. And it's a substantial scholarship. That's another thing. If, if, if they say we're a nonprofit and we do all this and then they give you know, a $1,000 scholarship, then you're like, well, where does the rest of the money go? But they give a very substantial, substantial scholarship uh, to a student every year looking to go into a conservation field of study. So guys, maybe you are a student and you're studying some, some field of conservation. I would encourage you to apply for the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, but also I would encourage you, everybody, to support this nonprofit scholarship fund, uh, whether it's through a one-time donation, a monthly donation, or attending one of their events, uh, or, or buying one of the things they have on auction uh, at these events. Support a company that's supporting our rights as hunters by furthering our conservation efforts by supporting students who are going into a conservation field of study. Guys, go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. I do want to make note, we have a special opportunity. This is my deer hunting oasis here in Oklahoma. We're sitting in a gorgeous cabin. We have a special opportunity for a few people next year to be able to hunt this property year-round, um, a year-round guided access lease. So if you have any interest in hunting in Oklahoma and having your own outfitted lease right here in uh, Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Pawhuska, you said it right. Well, how else would I say it? Uh, you, you should hear some of the names. Pawhuski? Pawhuski, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. Right here in Pawhuski, Oklahoma. <laughs> A year-long outfitted lease. You get to shed hunt. You get to come and enjoy a 50-acre lake and fish for all the sport fish you want. Deer hunting. Beautiful cabins just to come and stay in with your wife over you know a weekend. If you're interested, shoot me an email. Thehunting101podcast at gmail.com. I would love to get you some information. We'll be hunting this place together next year. Shoot me an email and I'll get you some information on that. But you really cannot beat this property. It's phenomenal. It's only a couple hours from from OKC. Yep. An hour from Tulsa. Tulsa. We're a couple hours from Wichita. Five hours from, from Dallas. Five and a half, six from Kansas City. Very, very good place to hunt. Uh, Seven thousand acres of some of the greatest Oklahoma deer hunting ever. Full year of guided access. Shoot me an email. I'd love to get connected with you. But guys, thank you so much for listening. You guys have a fantastic week. Get out there and hunt. And as always, I would love to share in your success. So send me over those photos. But guys, good luck and have a good week.